Hello and welcome to the Immersive Wire, where we cover the latest VR and AR trends in the industry. This episode is sponsored by Virtual Umbrella. Virtual Umbrella helps businesses tap into the commercial and creative potential of immersive technology. Through their knowledge and hands-on approach, they can assist with marketing, consultancy and events. You can find out more at virtualumbrella.marketing. Now sit back, relax and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Immersive Wire podcast. My name is Thomas Fisk and here with me is Nick Rosa from Accenture and I'll leave him to introduce himself. Hello Tom. Uh, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Nick Rosa and I work for Accenture and I'm leading the business for extended reality uh, in Europe within Accenture but I'm also leading the offering for everything that is related to immersive learning. So training and education delivery, we're using augmented reality and the virtual reality and everything in between uh, globally. Uh, and I'm uh, very pleased to be here with you, Tom, today. Thank you. So um, with this leading role which you have at Accenture, uh, what does your day-to-day look like? My day-to-day looks like, oh man, it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where, to, where to start? Uh, it's, um, it's a mixed role because uh, it includes sales, so clients, client-facing time, uh, it includes uh, offering generation, so go-to-market activities. Uh, and this uh, implies the creation of a deck and sales material for the global team, uh, but also understand what are the needs, especially for Europe and in particular for UK, uh, when it comes to resources and talents. Uh, so it's a little bit of a, of a mix, uh, a lot of uh, conf calls that are related to client opportunities and RFPs, uh, a lot of calls that are related to uh, offering developments and the potential partnerships with vendors and startups that we are working quite a lot with, mm-hmm. uh, more from the front of platforms and services rather than content, because in Accenture we tend to deliver mostly all of our content internally. Uh, for some very uh, few exceptions. Um, and, and then, of course, as I said, it's uh, important for me to keep an eye on uh, uh, the resources that we have um, in Europe, because mm-hmm. as I'm leading the business in Europe, resources are one of my tasks to keep an eye on, and understanding what are the needs and eventually how to uh, quickly supersize some of the teams that we have all around Europe. We have delivery teams in Spain, in Italy, in Latvia, in Germany, in uh, uh, Netherlands, uh, UK, Nordics, and so on. Lovely. Um, so you might say you're quite a busy man then. <laughs> well, I, 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 like, I like being busy and uh, especially right now with coronavirus is, uh, is good to be busy. You know, mm. business is, uh, is getting better and better. Uh, the more we get through uh, this uh, social distancing situation, people started recognizing that immersive technologies could be a way to overcome not only the physical distance, uh, but also some of the, um, the hurdles that you can find in your business uh, when you're unable to physically reach not only um, some places like your, your office, but also some um, assets uh, like, uh, I don't know, um, uh, how to train your people in um, maintaining a windmill or how to train your people, how to uh, unbuild a jet engine. 
uh, it's difficult to, to do this kind of training, especially when you have trainees that need to be in the room with other people during time like this. Mm -hmm. And many of the companies are accelerating their adoption of the immersive technologies and virtual collaboration in order to enable their business to be productive and uh, um, active during the coronavirus time. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I agree with you on keeping busy as well. How are you primarily um, communicating with your um, colleagues or friends or family? Is it Zoom? Uh, um, do you use virtual reality at all when communicating? <laughs> well, we have an Accenture um, room uh, dedicated for um, team building activities completely mm. done in VR. Uh, the Accenture VR team is composed by about 350 people that are uh, delivering great VR globally. Uh, so we have a big team. Um, and many of those people are um, located in basically most parts of the world. We have people in Costa Rica, we have people in Latvia, we have people in, uh, uh, in India, uh, Tokyo, you name it. So uh, it's important to provide a sense of community. And of course, we are using Microsoft Teams, not only professionally, but also to uh, have the, the, that kind of water tank um, conversations that you have in the office. So we, we're discussing, we have channels related to Netflix, we have channels related to uh, gaming, uh, but we are also uh, meeting every Friday uh, in VR, virtual reality to have a sort of a, virtual happy hour with uh, uh, some of our colleagues. The problem is that um, the, the, the time zone has to, be, it has to be managed in a way that is okay for most of the teams. Some of the teams in APAC sometimes can join, some of the teams in Europe sometimes can join because the, the time zone changes in order to allow everyone to join. But mm -hmm. yeah, we are having social gatherings in virtual reality. Uh, the communication when it comes to professional communication is happening mostly uh, via conf calls. Mm. And uh, we are using more and more webcams, which is interesting. Before doing conf calls, people used to tend to um, keep their web webcam off um, and go just with voice, uh, probably because there was less need of this um, human interaction and human connection. Mm. Now, uh, as far as I can see, most of the people uh, are always with their webcam on and mm -hmm. uh, it's difficult to find someone in a, in a conf call that doesn't have it on. Um, when it comes to my parents, the situation didn't change that much because, of course, they're old. And uh, for them to, you know, go and set up Skype and so on, uh, it's uh, quite cumbersome and uh, they're not exactly tech savvy. So we keep in touch mostly via WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. And instead, when it comes to friends, it's a little bit of a mixed bag because many friends are using Zoom right now. Uh, I have a lot of people uh, that I know and many friends that work for Google. And as you know, uh, you know, if, if you work for Google, including my girlfriend, uh, and if you go, work for Google, um, it's, uh, it's important for you to keep high the flag of the products that you have. So Google Hangouts in the one, is another one of the products that they're using quite a lot. But yeah, mostly uh, I would say Zoom for friends, uh, a little bit of hangouts and uh, professionally I, I use mostly teams but of course there's a little bit of VR in that. Of course of course uh, I've been seeing so many people use virtual reality for these communities as well it's interesting that you're across a wide range of tools uh, for communicating with everyone. 
So, uh, I mean, it's very interesting because um, right now we don't have interoperability of uh, all the different kind of systems that are available right now. Uh, and uh, it's like having multiple network providers for mobile phones that are unable to call each other. I so if I have Skype, it's like lots like, of walled gardens, isn't it? Exactly. And uh, I believe that this is going to probably bring to um, a, a unified standard in the future for uh, audiovisual communication between people as we have right now with normal mobile networks. Uh, people with the Facebook portal cannot talk with people that have Google Hangouts or uh, Skype or Slack or Microsoft Teams and, and vice versa. So uh, there's a huge lack of interoperability and there's a, a fragmentation of standards for communication, uh, which I believe is something that is going to be tackled probably in the very immediate future in order to avoid the online. People are getting into live streaming both for business and for fun. So uh, this need of expressing and communicating what you have inside with people and eventually interacting with the community is on the rise and uh, um, truly shows that uh, the, the digital first is becoming more a necessity than a commodity as it was before. And uh, probably this is going to impact massively in the way that businesses are going to use uh, digital communication and digital businesses like e-shopping e e e and uh, uh, digital twin like augmented reality shopping uh, in the future. And uh, probably this is going to be um, persistent even after the end of the coronavirus lockdown. So companies will look more and more in ways to reach consumers and users just using uh, uh, digital channels rather than the normal physical retail. I completely agree. And it's going to be so fascinating to follow this digital twin aspect. The term digital twin is going to have a lot, of, um, lot more interest in the next few years. Well, if you think about uh, how company usually operate, especially like product company, any kind of company that is uh, um, in manufacturing or uh, uh, fashion, they usually start with a, uh, um, a design, a design of the product, okay? Mm. And the design can include the technology, but can also include uh, um, industrial design. So uh, how the product actually looks. And this design goes through reviews using uh, um, CAD um, programs like AutoCAD and uh, VRED and uh, CATIA. And those ones are already kind of digital twins of the products. But when you can optimize the use of those kind of digital twins for something like not only the design of the product itself, but also for upskilling the workforce that is going to build that product, like for example, virtual training. And then when the um, workforce is upskilled in how to build this product, you can use the same 3D images to allow them to build the product faster using augmented reality through connected worker experience, like Microsoft HoloLens or monocular devices like RealWare and so on. Mm. And then when you sell the pro when you want to sell the product, you can use exactly the same images and renderings in order to create a virtual catalog of the product itself. So you can create augmented shopping. 
which is what, what we're seeing with uh, Google to an extent because they're adding more um, augmented reality integration with their um, products and services. Yeah. Correct. And once you have the, uh, the product sold, what you can do is to provide interactive digital manuals for people that are absolutely foolproof. So you can provide information on how to, for example, install a router, a broadband router, directly overlaying all the information where you have to put the cable, where you have to put the power plug, how, which kind of button you have to press directly on top of the router itself. So there is a series of services that can be provided to the consumers, but also to the enterprise that all rely on the same assets. So that's why the digital asset pipeline optimization that relates directly to what we were talking about before, the digital twin, will become more and more important in the future of any kind of company. We're not just talking about manufacturing or retail. Mm. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I just can't wait to see what the future looks like. And it's integration for all sorts of services. As far as I understand also, you, um, you focus a lot personally on the enterprise side of uh, immersive stuff too. So we're not just talking about consumer shopping. No, uh, well, yes, in, in particular enterprise, but that, that's because basically where the, 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 the money pot is at the moment. Consumer AR and VR is uh, a niche. If you think about the amount of uh, VR devices that have been sold globally uh, when it comes to consumer devices, uh, we are talking about few millions uh, that is not exactly a critical mass to create a global business yeah. but if we are thinking about the uh, necessity of this kind of products for the enterprise and the kind of level of support and products that need to be built for the enterprise then it's it, it's fairly clear that for a company that produces content and services like accenture uh, is basically where the business is. Yeah. Um, in, uh, in Accenture right now, I'm working mainly on enterprise use cases on a global scale, mm -hmm. but I'm also uh, working on some B2C use cases for Europe. So my role as the European lead for the XR team covers any uh, use case uh, in Europe and only immersive learning globally. So this means that immersive learning as for now is a use case only for the enterprise. We still don't have any kind of uh, immersive learning university for consumers available. Um, it's, uh, it's something that relates more to energy company, utilities company, oil and gas companies, mining and you name it. Uh, but when it comes to other things like, for example, virtual merchandising or uh, augmented shopping, we're mm -hmm. talking about business to consumer experiences. And at that point, uh, there are a few use cases that we are developing with some of our clients. Yeah. Um, for sure. And I just can't wait to see it come, these use cases come out in the wild. Um, I'm intrigued. Um, but let's go a little bit further to um, quarantine content because we're stuck at home. Um, <laughs> we're kind of <laughs> restricted in what we can and can't do. Um, and there's some definite winners and losers in this situation. I think we've covered um, high street shopping is in theory a loser unless you um, integrate some immersive tech to assist you. Um, but I also feel like a big winner would be um, video gaming. And I'm not just talking about um, virtual reality gaming where you could play uh, games in your room. I'm just talking about general gaming like PlayStation and Xbox as well. 
Oh, okay. So you're going to my passions territory right now. Mm. <laughs> uh, you okay? Um, I'll tell you a story that you probably don't know. I've yeah, been well. working as a specialized video game journalist for seven years while I was at the university and when I started working. And my first job uh, was for Atari. That's awesome. Uh, which, had, which at that time was uh, Infogram, uh, the, the French video game company from Alone in the Dark, you know, for just mm. people that's to, to, to frame the, 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 the period that we're talking about. So uh, at that time, Atari acquired Hasbro and they changed the name. Infogram acquired Hasbro and inherited the Atari uh, rights for the name. And uh, they 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 uh, pivoted towards a more like edgy and uh, cool name that uh, uh, would appeal also some retro gamers. And uh, yeah, I spent some time uh, traveling around the world with some uh, of my ex colleagues doing press tours for video games uh, while still writing under a pseudonym because, of course, I couldn't like write and uh, re review video games uh, while working for a, a video game company. But don't tell it to anyone. Um, I'm, uh, I'm an hardcore gamer. I still work, uh, in, uh, very closely with gaming technologies, but, um, unfortunately I don't do games. I do other stuff. Uh, but I'm still a very, uh, uh, very passionate about video games. Gaming industry right now is having, um, um, a massive spike of interest, especially related to, um, Esports. I don't know if you uh, read the news about the Formula One Grand Prix being replaced by the counterparts uh, uh, on 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 gaming. So we had some um, Formula One uh, drivers uh, competitively racing against uh, uh, normal esports gamers online and winning also some of the races. And this kind of <laughs> Uh, Grand Prix was going well, has, has been broadcasted all across all different streaming platforms like uh, YouTube Gaming and uh, um, Twitch and 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 you name it. So uh, the lack of physical sports is uh, um, creating that momentum for esports mm. to, uh, to to become uh, one of the most interesting. Uh, uh, broadcast for people that are passionate about competitive activities okay yeah. so and this is one of the things the second thing is the world creation so think about video games like the legend of zelda or red dead redemption 2 uh, or the witcher or mm. even gta 5 those games allow you to uh, uh, travel around in complete freedom do whatever you want and be whatever you want to be and do whatever you want to do. And you say, okay, but I was able to do it even before in gaming, even before the lockdown. Yes, but your need of freedom and your need of express yourself and also the catharsis that you, you need to have in order to um, calm down your inner self, let's say like this, um, due to the lockdown, because of course you're always in a house, you're always in the same room, you're always in the same environment and potentially you spend way too much time with always the same people. Uh, that's in some cases is amazing, but in other cases can be a curse, right? 
So having this kind of escapism uh, that video game can provide is absolutely essential in a time that we, the time that we're living right now with the lockdown. And uh, um, I think that probably video game companies could have managed the situation in a kind of a better way. Um, I feel that they've been kind of unprepared to really drive the kind of marketing wave that could have come from great activities related to online community coming together in order to overcome the coronavirus lockdown. Well, it feels um, like, um, so the reason why I disagree with you, because it feels like they're more in panic mode rather than opportunity mode. PlayStation did announce that they are reducing their network connectivity to help with um, connectivity in Europe, for example. And it took them a few weeks before they um, offered a free uh, title, which uh, players can play, which... What I found peculiar also is the fact that the game which they introduced for, um, you know, staying at home is... Uh, it wasn't a multiplayer game. It was a single-player game. And I just find that's a missed opportunity. It's, there was one multiplayer and one single-player. Okay, that, that's slightly better. <laughs> <laughs> Allow me to correct you, even if the, it's funny because uh, the two games that they proposed were Uncharted, the um, uh, collector edition, I think, that basically is a, is a remastered of the first three Uncharted that came out for PlayStation uh, 3, I think, uh, but rebuilt for PlayStation 4. And uh, the, the, the second title that they proposed is... Uh, um, uh, sorry, Journey. And Journey is a beautiful, beautiful no, Journey is incredible. That I, I, no, not disputing the and, quality of the games. <laughs> uh, but the, the kind of multiplayer that Journey offers is uh, um, very, 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 very limited. Yes, it is so limited. You, you it, can, is still, it is yeah. still technically multiplayer, though. Um, it but, it yeah. is still technically multiplayer, but it's super, <laughs> super limited. So it's weird that they're offering those kind of games to gamers to stay home, which are not exactly a category that is usually, uh, you know, you, you need to nudge in order to, uh, to, to stay at home. So probably they, they, they should have targeted non-gamers to, uh, to, to, to buy new games and to buy a PlayStation 4 to stay at home and eventually spend more time with their loved ones you know, playing those games and having fun and eventually, you know, playing remotely with their family and being involved and so on. And there's also, of course, a huge opportunity that's, uh, I don't know, has, hasn't been caught completely by video game companies from my point of view and, and from, from VR companies as well. Mm. The, the Facebook and Oculus themselves, um, they have this horizon that right now is in closed beta. Uh, probably the opportunity of opening up the beta to the public in order to allow people to connect in virtual reality um, has been kind of burned. Uh, I mean, during coronavirus, something like uh, horizon could have been incredible for people. Imagine well, being that's, able well, that's to because... connect. Well, I mean, they should have because they're releasing a new Horizon like in a few months' time but, um, to drive up hype. Uh, I yeah. don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting discussion because what... Okay, okay, tell you what. I'll tell you what, Nick. Um, you are 
the head of PlayStation, you control every single facet of what PlayStation or Xbox does. Um, what do you do to absolutely capitalize on the situation? And I'll tell you my answer. I would remove completely any uh, paid wall garden for people to play multiplayer, like Xbox Live and the PlayStation Plus. There, so, but, 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 surely, uh, would, but surely that means you lose a revenue stream because more people will be playing multiplayer and more people will be playing you for PlayStation You lose a Plus. revenue stream, but you acquire a lot of marketing buzz and the people will start talking about it. Hmm. People will start talking about it, will create community, and you will f um, create fidelization of your users. We are not talking about companies that don't make money. We're talking about very healthy and wealthy companies, both at Microsoft and, and Sony. Uh, let's not forget that Sony basically pivoted most of their business around PlayStation because their consumer electronics and their mobile, mar uh, their mobile business are not doing exactly great. But the PlayStation business is super healthy. Yeah. As for Microsoft Xbox, Microsoft Xbox has been created just to contrast Sony in some way and to have, you know, uh, a piece of the cake of gaming. And right now is a really good business for Microsoft and also is driving what Microsoft is doing for Windows for gaming. Because finally, after years and years under um, Bill Gates, uh, the new CEO, uh, Satya Nadella, recognize that Windows is an essential piece of software for gamers and gamers are thousands and millions all around. So um, it's, it's, it's important to understand that these companies have some money to invest and this coronavirus lockdown is gonna probably last, I don't know, four, five, six, eight months. Okay, uh, when it comes to the revenues for the company, we are not talking about a huge amount of their total revenues. Their total revenues, they usually come from the kind of that they uh, have for each of the games that are downloaded. From their digital stores. So creating activities and having a more of a community push for all those games that that will give them a lot of marketing visibility. And people are having a lot of screen time. The only company that I can see that has been capitalizing hugely from lockdown, apart of course, community management like Epic Games with Fortnite, it's, uh, is Nintendo. I don't know if you heard stories about this game. And people are getting crazy about this game because it's a game that allows you to connect with other people, have your own world, and it's complete escapism, and you can go fishing, and you can invite your friends, and so on. And they made a really good campaign about it. And uh, uh, basically, every single video game review website is talking about uh, Animal Crossing Horizons, New Horizons, I think it's called, That's as right. the, the perfect medicine for... Uh, you know, the lockdown that we are having and, you know, to reduce the usual mobile phone screen time with more screen time in front of a Nintendo Switch, 
but you know in a in a more fun and engaging way with other people and you know um, I, I don't see a lot of these activities coming from companies like for example you have Bungie with destiny or uh, uh, of course there is activision with the new call of duty modern warfare world zone uh, that has been launched and there's a new season and so on but there's not that much buzz around the internet about this kind of products uh, i think that's yesterday that there's been a massive concert on fortnite uh, where about a million players look at the, the watch the concerts with like yes and there's a number. and there's a brand new one which was uh, happening just recently and it's like looking to be just as big it's ridiculous um yeah yeah but we're looking at like the future of how people kind of socialize interact there's many yeah. uh, lessons learned from um seeing how communities interact in world of warcraft bleeding into other games yeah it's, it's um well started with the optimal line right so <laughs> oh gosh yeah oh my gosh ultima online that's what that's it's, talking old school uh, i mean uh we're, we're embedded in our um social um texture right so um, people are interested in new experiences and people are interested in new ways of experiencing reality and even digital realities one of the things that frustrates me the most is that um, when developers, but even consumers, are in front of a new medium, they expect the new medium to behave in a similar way or to reality itself or to um, previously known media. Um, let me give you an example. Okay. The CD-ROM. When we first had the first games with a CD-ROM, the first games were very horrible interactive movies because we were used to have nice graphics and uh, nice audio on VHS tapes that were coming, uh, you know, with our with, with with normal movies, and and the movie industry was very well developed. And we received this new medium that was the CD-ROM. Okay, what the CD-ROM can do? Can store a lot of images, videos, and high-quality audio on top of it. Okay, let's put some movies on top of it. But it doesn't work. And it doesn't work because it's a completely, completely new medium that needs to be exploited in the best way possible, taking full advantage of the devices and the capabilities of the devices. What are the full capabilities of the devices. The full capabilities are interactive graphics, uh, interactive sound, potentially 3D graphics with the new accelerators that came after, you know, the 3D effects, the, fa the famous 3D effects video card that's been introduced to the market, all those kind of things. It's not just video, it's interactive entertainment. And then from there, we had the acceleration that propelled the PlayStation, PC gaming, and everything that came after that. But it's, it's important even for virtual reality and augmented reality for people to understand that it's not key, for example, of, to have realistic avatars. Why would you want to have realistic avatars in an experience uh, that is going to make you feel like even uncomfortable because when you see something that looks like a normal human, but it's not a normal human, 
you have what is called the uncanny valley and you, you know mm. what the uncanny valley is it's basically do, when you're yeah. in front of a represent a, a very similar representation to the reality which is not exactly that close to reality to make you click and make you think that it's reality so it's uncanny it's like when you see those japanese robots on the tv right so they, they look creepy so something like for example facebook horizon i think that has the right approach because you have the cartoonish avatars and a, a, a take on a completely new world that's completely physical and and now we started investigating new ways of moving around in virtual that are different from the normal way of locomotion that we have in the real world, like teleportation, for example. Um, and all those things that are different from the normal user experience that we associate, or we associated at the beginning when we started building experiences in virtual reality and augmented reality with uh, this new medium, finally started to create best practices and a better way of enjoying those kind of experience. And it is exactly what happened with mobile phones. When mobile phones have been launched, most of the mobile application or most of the website that were available for mobile were similar in the structure and the user experience to the desktop counterparts. Then after two, three, four years, the Shazam, the Uber, the CityMapper, all those amazing apps that were taking full advantage of the device and great user experience and the great interface started to come out that you know mobile phones smartphones i'm talking about became truly transformational for for people i love that i love uh, all these ideas exploring that and i i, I don't i don't even know where to begin from there um <laughs> I, I, I guess, first of all, um, do you see uh, PlayStation adopting some of these ideas as they continue making their VR headsets? I, I think that we are, we are on the brink of what is going to be an acceleration in immersive technologies for entertainment. Mm. Um, this coronavirus probably will give that push that is really needed in order to accelerate this adoption and probably will provide to companies like Microsoft that announced support for virtual reality on the Xbox One X and this has never materialized in the end. Uh, and for PlayStation to create finally a decent uh, inside out tracking headset with finger tracking and a proper controller and potentially completely wireless and more support for games and even interactive and community games to, 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 to happen. My, um, my view on this is that the technology wasn't ready yet for prime time for consumers when, when, when we were talking about AR and VR. Um, the display, the tracking, um, even the, um, the, the computational capacity of self-contained devices. And I'm talking about like devices like the Oculus Quest of the Vive Focus Pro. Um, but also the ecosystems. The ecosystems, and uh, when I talk about ecosystem, I talk about 
platform that allow people to interact with each other, allow the developers to deploy their application and make some money, but also to provide a broad access to the public. Because right now, virtual reality is a very niche market. We're still waiting for that killer use case. Where is the Tinder of mobile, uh, of, mm. of virtual reality? Where mm. is the Uber of virtual reality? Where is that application that makes everyone say, hey, I need to buy a headset because all of my friends are in there. Well, we thought that was going it. to be Beat Saber, right? <laughs> well, in, in part it is. Because in part it is. That's what I was thinking. I mean, that's why Facebook bought them, right? In part it is. The problem is that from my point of view, it's, it's um, okay, do you remember when everyone was crazy about rock band? Or I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, well, Rock Band and Guitar Hero, um, because it was two separate publishers who are fighting for yeah. dominance in the same one thing. was Activision, the other one was Electronic Arts. Yes, mm. you remember when those kind of devices, like the plastic guitars and the drums, were big, and everyone had it, and and everyone looked like they were going to dominate the world. Yeah, I remember that. It, yeah. Uh, it lasted for about a year or two. <laughs> yeah. It's the same with the um, Skylanders and like the little figurines which you use in games. That, used, that took yeah. over the world as well before that fizzled out. Yeah. So uh, I think that you need something that is truly transformational. And for something to be truly transformational, you need um, pain points that is solved by the technology and by the uniqueness of the technology. Um, you know that, I mean, we discussed about this in other conversation. You know, I'm a design thinking practitioner and a trainer. Mm. So um, everything that I build and I design when it comes to VR for my clients is driven by um, user-centric needs. So what is your pain point? What is your problem? We start with a problem. We never start with the technology. We never say we need to use VR for this. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because some of the conversation that I have with my clients, and thanks God I work for Accenture, uh, that is big and has a lot of uh, um, branching all around uh, mobile and uh, digital and web and transformation in general, is that, um, we have conversation with clients that start with, oh, we think that we need a VR application. And then we recognize that, no, you actually don't need VR. You probably need a mobile app or probably you need a web app or probably you need just a different kind of digital strategy for your online presence. Uh, or probably you need the IoT system in a different way. So uh, the, the, the important thing is to, um, apply the technology as an enabler to solve a problem and not as a starting point to build on top. So when it comes, for example, to transformational apps like Shazam, as I was mentioning before, or like Uber, why are they, those apps so transformational for our life? I mean, 
Mm. I wouldn't be able to live without Uber in a normal world without coronavirus, of course. Of course. <laughs> because Uber allows me, to, allows me to move wherever I want, whenever I am, wherever I am, whenever I want, and wherever I want to go. And I can pay directly, even if I don't have my wallet with me. And, uh, uh, you know, it tells me exactly how much time it's going to take for me to get from point A to point B. And it's great. It solves me a problem. It solves me tons of problems. Okay. And is solving me this problem because it's using GPS, it's using uh, Apple Pay or Google Pay. And uh, um, is uh, um, visual, so you can see in real time information about the timing. It's using Google Maps to get all the analytics related to the traffic and how long it's going to take, the best route, and so on. And you get a ratings, rating system, so user ID identification, and so on. And it's, it's, it's great. And it's mobile, so I, it's in my pocket, it's always with me. And those kind of needs in terms of features are only applicable because we have a smartphone in our pockets. Mm. What are those features that can be only applied to virtual reality or augmented reality headsets that can enable the solution of human problems? When we're going to have that killer application that will do that, we will have our iPhone moment for virtual reality and augmented reality. I remember, um, I'm so happy you mentioned iPhone moment because I wrote an article saying I hate the term iPhone moment in regards to immersive reality uh, because <laughs> the reason why, it was a proper like 1,500 word piece um, because linguistically, I think it makes a few assumptions. Um, I think people use iPhone moments to uh, say that it's going to dominate the market and explode and grow and create its own little industry. But I think people misunderstand it and think that the steps towards the iPhone moment is exactly the same when it's not, because the perks of immersive reality are very different from mobile phones. Mobile phones flourish because of the connectivity between each other. While I think virtual reality will um, flourish, not necessarily because of connectivity, but because of the power and impact that has on the user. I think that is the uh, selling point rather than connection. Uh, I, I respectfully disagree. Good. Let's have, let's have a debate. <laughs> <laughs> I respectfully disagree because it's not about connectivity. Uh, of course, it's about immersion. But the iPhone moment need, didn't happen because of the connectivity need. We had mobile phones before the iPhone. The iPhone moment happened because there was a convergence of technology, user experience, and business model. Let me go more in depth into those. The technology, touchscreen, GPS, you name it, enabled a frictionless user experience. I use my finger to control everything. It's completely visual. Is a massive screen that I can watch movies, I can listen to the music, I can listen to my MP3s. Let's not forget that the iPhone also had a huge push from the popularity of the iPod. 
was basically an iPod with a phone attached. And the ecosystem, again, music store on top of app store, on top of marketing, because of course, Apple was, you know, pushing apps of a certain kind to users of a certain kind and companies that were producing apps of a certain kind that could appeal to certain kind of users were using those data that were provided by Apple in order to push their apps, paying for it. I'm not, I'm, I don't know if you're aware, but also some of the advertising that Apple was doing at the time that were showing the home screen of a mobile phone of their first uh, generation three that was basically the second model of the iPhone and the first iPhone with the apps on top of it, companies that produce those apps had to pay to be under those advertising. So it's business model, ecosystem of services, technology, and user experience converging all together. It's not the connectiveness. It's more about how do we make money and how do we provide the best experience possible in a frictionless way so that these people that are going to buy our product are going to stick with our product. From my point of view, one of the biggest problems that we have right now with VR is not the fact that people are not enthusiastic about the technology because the world is divided for me uh, in two categories, people that love VR and people that never tried VR or people that tried VR and had a bad experience because you know the device wasn't great or the application wasn't great, but basically it's kind of the same thing. You need to provide that engagement that makes people go back to the device. During this lockdown, we are literally glued to our mobile phones. I haven't been glued that much to my VR headsets, except for playing Half-Life Alex, which was amazing. But because the user experience there was amazing. When the user experience of the XR products will be consistently amazing, and supported by an ecosystem and the technology that will provide this kind, that kind of engagement that you have with Half-Life Alex, or right now you have with most of every mobile phone product or experience, then we're gonna have the iPhone moment for VR. Okay. Um, I really like your three points when it comes to um, the elements of the, um, the iPhone. I think it's just uh, the point I wanted to make was uh, I don't think uh, the the reason why VR or AR will be popular will be the same reason why the iPhone is popular because I think they'll be serving different needs. Oh yeah, yeah they're completely new medium. Um, yeah, exactly. So uh, a medium like VR, it's it's a different animal from a mobile phone or for a television screen. And let's not forget that television screens are used to watch TVs by most of the people, but television screens are also used to check uh, the ECG uh, in an hospital 
or x-rays or to check the radar signal on a, a control room in an airport okay it's a medium is visual information mobile phones is uh, interactive communication and potential connectivity virtual reality is immersion with connectivity with visual information potentially also with some haptics in some way how do you get the most of this kind of feature and how you create experience around those it's a task that is <laughs> is huge you know you need to you need to understand deeply human interaction you need to understand um, human behavior and psychology and uh, uh, I and also I think that the technology is not really there yet a lot of people are saying that 5g is going to bring this change I hope so um, I, I mean I'm not I mean, fully convinced I, I, I that the technology so as well uh, because 5g is such not, an exciting tech it is it is 5g brings the, the the low latency and the high bandwidth that is needed for remote rendering but it's mm. not just that i mean and it, al almost an certainly it almost certainly doesn't give you coronavirus either like for goodness yeah, sake. that's 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 for sure <laughs> that's for sure that's for sure um yeah but it's it's not the only thing that is going to be needed in order to have this kind of uh inflection point inflection points that's that's uh, is going to propel the um, xr business into mainstream as I said, from my point of view, is user experience, business, and technology. If those three things will arrive together, we will have that iPhone moment that you probably don't like as a as a term, but it's it's pretty it's pretty good to let people understand what is going to happen in terms of uh, user adoption because, of course, the iPhone changed the world. Yeah. So. I, I like that we're both optimists where it's um, around the corner. I, I think it's just more of a question of what it's going to look like and what the right tech will look like as well. And if we both knew that for certain, then we'll both be millionaires, but alas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know if you have an idea. Exactly. Um, but thank you so much. Uh, I guess as a final question I wanted to ask you, um, based on what we've said and about uh, gaming and the use of technology, where do you see yourself or the industry in a few years' time? In a few years' time? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Um, I can see myself easily where I am right now because I'm loving my job and uh, uh, things are going very well. Um, and, and I see myself thriving in the immersive technology. Um, business where immersive is going to be in a few years from now is probably in a more um, cohesive um, with a more cohesive offering so companies will come up with uh, uh, more standards like we had the standard for television PAL and then NTSC uh, for broadcasting we're probably going to have more standards for XR and we already have it with OpenXR from Kronos Group and so on but probably we're going to have more and more standardized communication protocols um, I hope that this is going to be uh, a thing very soon in the future because the fragmentation of platform doesn't help anybody 
uh, nor mm -hmm. the harder producer or the consumers. Uh, it's important to have consistency when it comes to user experience and when it comes also to software and uh, um, to uh, ecosystems. Uh, I can see um, more invisible technology. Um, I can see miniaturization of the devices, glasses, um, sensors that are able to capture directly uh, finger movements rather than controllers. Um, so less and less and less technology. Uh, potentially in the future, if you think about what happened uh, 100 years ago, uh, think about the way that you were consuming media, or not you, but uh, your grandfather, for example, that wanted to have information about the war that was going on in Europe. He needed to go to a movie theater in order to consume media. So it was a very uh, passive way of consuming media, surrounded by people, um, and you had to go to a specific place and uh, uh, at a specific time. And that was the way that we were consuming media about 100 years ago. And then in the, uh, the mid-40s, the first uh, television has been mass-produced by a company in the United States. And we started living um, the media consumption in a more um, intimate way in our living room with our families and uh, uh, media became um, more the, the consumption of me uh, media became more you know a family affair and uh, um, a cultural event uh, big television shows the the first big tv stars and uh, elvis presley and so on uh, and then we moved towards the beginning of the 80s with the first mobile phones. And mobile phones, at the beginning, we all thought that they were clunky and horrible and horrible yuppies. And then they became the standard. We all had our own little StarTac or our own little Ericsson uh, in, a, in our pockets when we were teenagers. And then mobile phone miniaturization of the internet in your pocket. And at that moment, we became completely cyborg. Nobody is going out without his or her mobile phones. And if we leave the mobile phone in our house, we go back to our house to fetch the mobile phone because it's like being without superpowers. We cannot pay, we cannot call our taxis, we cannot listen to our music, we cannot get in touch with our people, with our family, with the people that we love. We feel cut out. And the technology is getting smaller and smaller. So headsets and miniaturization, potentially glasses in the future, hopefully. Um, I am not very hopeful about um, contact lenses. Um, no, am I. I've, I I've, see, I've seen some, um, some of the technology behind uh, these uh, contact lenses and I'm not convinced. Uh, yeah. There needs to be some computing power, like in the frames. I can't see it working like just on where the eyes are. Yeah. Um, I am very hopeful though in a neural machine interface for two reasons. The first one is that it's way easier and more effective to hack directly the brain uh, than just to put contact lenses. 
Um, and this because the brain and the reality that we are in is constantly and actively shaped by our brain. I'm going to interrupt there because um, while I, I agree with you, um, I, just want, I just wonder how long it will take. Um, from reading the studies, which I've seen Facebook do uh, with universities, my understanding is the uh, sophistication of the tech so far is people can do very basic commands from the brain but nothing like typing from the brain. We're talking like forwards, backwards, select, enter, delete. And even then the accuracy is around 80% so far. So imagine like every one in five times is failing. So <laughs> I, I agree with the technology is like getting there, it's getting more sophisticated, but I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't think this is going to be something that's going to happen soon. Who knows though? I'm happy to prove it wrong because the date today is the 24th of April and Mark Zuckerberg is going to in an hour and a half's time make some announcements about new products so if i'm proven wrong in an hour and a half i'm sorry everyone <laughs> but we'll see what happens well you know i i don't believe that mark zuckerberg is going to announce neural machine interface but if you saw what uh, elon musk is doing with Neuralink, it's quite remarkable and i'm not saying that this is going to happen soon especially because uh, there's also um um a perception of this technology that needs to change and I believe that when the first people that will start having those implants uh, are going to interact with other people, the community, the, 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 the global community will realize that those people are superhumans and will want to have those same, the same superpower, the same way that we, we felt, oh my God, I don't want to miss out with my Tinder or with my Uber or with my CityMapper or with my Shazam. I need to have that smartphone people will want to have the same kind of superpowers that this kind of technology will provide when it's going to be available to the masses, safe, and will provide the same kind of user experience, transformational user experience we were talking about before for people. Uh, but we're not talking about probably five years. It's probably going to be like 15 to 20 years from now. Um, let's not forget that Ray Kurzweil, which is the future, future, futurist, in, uh, futurist chief of Google mm. uh, predicted that uh, the singularity will happen before 2050. Um, and he's been, he he's been proven 20, right with a lot of his other uh, predictions as well. Yeah, 2035, he said in reality, yeah. but I think that is going to be remember, right um, I remember meeting him in uh, South by Southwest a few years ago. And mm -hmm. um, it was a big, big event with lots and lots of people going. And they kind of see um, him as like, kind of like, a Ford uh, thinking figure who doesn't really change his um, predictions too much. Um, so it is interesting to hear what he says, but 2035 does seem viable, like absolutely. Yeah. And if you think that that is going to be the last invention that mankind will ever make. Mm. So to, at that I have point. To say also, that when it comes to uh, the singularity, it's interesting the approaches a uh, lot of companies are doing. Microsoft's approach is fascinating because. They're effectively exploring something which might not even exist. Um, <laughs> so we've got all these other companies that are exploring these ways of like trying to go to quantum supremacy or, um, mm -hmm. or as Microsoft prefers to call quantum advantage. But Microsoft is also exploring an, an option where effectively they're trying to find something we don't know even exists. Um, I'm just trying to find, I'm just opening my magazine now to see if I could find what it's called. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I can't find it, but, but, but yeah, it's really interesting.
a lot of uh, acceleration is going to happen in terms of uh, discoveries and technology adoption in the next eight years. Uh, before the end of this century, the world is going to be a very different place. Imagine how different it was a hundred years ago when your grandfather used to go to the movie theater to watch the CNN news. And mm -hmm. look where we are right now with virtual and augmented reality. In the lockdown, but with virtual and augmented reality. Yeah. Um, by the way, I've just found the term. It's called a Majorana particle. And the reason why it's significant is because it's a, it's a type of qubit known as a topological qubit. So instead of, um, it, it's effectively a bit like a Horcrux where um, it keeps states of itself in multiple places, which means it's computing uh -huh. power. It means it's more stable as a particle for, for quantum supremacy. Okay, so you, you are, okay. So it, it's more about quantum computing. I was uh, referring more to... Um, classic generic artificial intelligence, which is a bit different. Uh, it's funny because Well, it's linked to it, surely, because um, if you, as, yeah, when you get quant um, quantum power, then it's easier to get towards that um, singularity. It is, it is, it is. Uh, it's, it, it has similar ways of programming. So basically you have nodes and you have um, Python algorithms that are creating for quantum algorithms, but yeah. Hmm. Thank you so much for this interview, Tom. No, thank you so much. Um, this has gone on for quite a while, but it's been a really interesting discussion, which is why. Um, but thank you so much. Uh, if you would like to follow a Virtual Perceptions newsletter, please go to virtualperceptions.com. Uh, Nick, is there anywhere you'd like to direct the audience for you? Oh yeah, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn, on uh, www.linkedin.com slash in slash Nicola Rosa, N-I-C-O-L-A-R-O-S-A. And uh, if you have any questions, you can uh, email me at nicolarosa.gmail.com. And uh, thank you so much for having me on uh, your podcast. No worries. It's been really enjoyable. And I'll see everyone at some point in the future. Take care.